Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesboro Baptist Church. Uh, this morning, the speaker is Jeremy Adamson. He's uh, preaching for me since I'm on vacation. And the title of his message this morning is The Heart of the Church. Please enjoy. All right, just let me know. I can talk about nothing or I can talk about something. One thing they know is I can talk. Well, while we're waiting, y'all can go ahead and turn it to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. I have a couple of uh, initial texts. Um, In my Sunday school class, I teach an adult Sunday school class at Arcola, and um, I was actually teaching all the adult Sunday school classes for a couple weeks, and I went through some of this, and it's just um, something with everything going on with this... uh, I think somebody brought it up with 2020. They're talking about it was a a year of um, having great vision. Well, I can tell you one thing. If the Christians' minds haven't been opened up in the year of 2020, then we probably need um, need an eye checkup, a spiritual eye checkup, because the eyes and the minds of of Christians in the church should have been opened up this year and and should be be able to see what's going on in in the world and the condition we're in and the shape we're in and the, the way we're going. Um, but so this has to do with kind of what had me start reading and digging and doing some more study. But Hebrews chapter six, verse 17 through 20. It says, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within a veil, whether the forerunner is for us, entered even Jesus, made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for these people that who have faithful to come and to serve you, Lord, who have a desire to come and see you. We thank you for the brother here who just has such a passion for you and for your word, Lord, and Lord, there's so much to be said for men like that who have been faithful and loyal and dependable, Lord, and just have an authentic love and care for you, Lord. I just pray that you'll continue to, to bless this church with leaders like him and Brother Brett, Lord, and just, and just continue to bless these people, Lord. I pray that you'll be with me today. Give me the words to say that would encourage and challenge the people here today, Lord. I just thank you for all that you've done and all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to hold my spot there, and I'm going to flip over to 2 Timothy real quick, and I want to read one, one verse here. Um, and I'm going to read out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 19, and it says, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19 says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, I'm sorry, 19, verse 19, not verse 20. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and that let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. There, the first part of the verse, it talks about, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. And he touched briefly on this, and I promise you that there is a lot of correlation between what he said and what we will talk about um, today. But in Hebrews chapter 6, I want to go back to that and and go through these passages of Scripture just to point out a a couple of words here. 
But it says, wherein God willing more abundantly to show the heirs of promise, the immutability of, the count of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. And it talks about the two immutable things. It's impossible for God to lie. We have a strong consolation. We have a strong hope. We have a strong understanding, a, a strong peace that we have because we have laid hold upon the hope set before us. We've laid hold upon the hope, which is Jesus Christ. The hope is not a hope of, I hope so, which is often used in the English today, but that hope means a surety, an assurance, a confidence that we have in the hope set before us. And it says, which hope, that hope, which is Jesus Christ, we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. That hope, that confidence we have, that is an anchor. And I want to talk a little bit today about an anchor. And in the verse, other verses in 2 Timothy about a foundation. We live in a world that is in chaos and ever-changing. Up is, up is down, right is wrong, left is right. It, it's just, it, it is things that we are seeing today that the absurdity of it all is we say stuff now that is wrong and we are amazed at the people who come back at us and argue that it is right. Um, I use one of the ones I mean I talk about as, as abortion because to me is just so blatantly evil and yet we have people who sit there and try to argue and are fully convinced within themselves that it is okay and have every justification in the book and whether science says anything with it or not. But that is, that is one of the worst of the worst and there are so many things in between there that we have made wrong right. This, the society, the world has made wrong right. But we're in a, we're in a world of chaos. Um, we don't know what's true. We don't know what's false. There's so much stuff out there. There's so much information out there. The, the strangest stories could be true and the, the most sane stories could be false because we don't know. Because, but this chaos, that's, this, that's Satan. That's what he does. And he, he, he is the one. He is the father of disorder. So the only thing that we can do is to stay anchored and to stay grounded. And our anchor, our grounding is truth. The truth is Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the gospel. Isaiah chapter 28, I'm going to go over a couple verses here in Isaiah. But Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. He is pretty adamant about that stone, about that foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Let me go back and read some of that verse again. A foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. There's importance when you repeat stuff. There's, they're, they're, they're making emphasis there. And it says, he that believeth shall not make haste. If I flip over a couple pages here in Isaiah chapter 33, in verse 6, it says, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Wisdom and knowledge. That's not earthly wisdom and knowledge. That is Bible wisdom and knowledge. That is spiritual wisdom and knowledge. Those things are stability. If there's anything anybody needs, specifically us as Christians need in this world right now, it is stability. And that stability comes from the wisdom and knowledge. And then our strength is salvation. And all that comes from the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is treasure. 
So when we talk about this, our anchor, our grounding is truth. Truth is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the gospel. I'm reading, I read a brief book, and I'm teaching out of it off and on in bits and pieces. I'm teaching in order in my Sunday school class in like a little 15, 20-minute segments, and I've taught from it repeatedly, and this is one uh, sermon that I've taught from it. But the book is called The Heart of the Church, and I think when we talk about the heart of the church, this is one of the problems we have in society. A lot of times we like to blame the world for what's going on in society. I have always been one to blame the church. I can remember back when September 11th happened, there were a lot of big-name preachers who went out and they said, um, getting hot up here, but a lot of big-name preachers that came out and said that uh, it's because of homosexuality, it's because of abortion, it's because of this, it's because of that, and I don't believe that for a second. I don't think God's wrath was poured out for that yet. I think God's wrath to come is on that. I don't think we've seen God's wrath on that. What I truly believe, what I've taught, what I've grown up studying and reading, that was pure and simple. The people, the ones who were supposed to be righteous, the church, forgot how to be the church and how to be righteous and how to serve God. He, for a moment, in my mind, in the vision that I have and what I see, for a moment took his hands and said, this is what could happen. And he allowed it to happen. And everybody fit, turned to God and fell, for, fell towards God, and everything was good for about a week. And then we forgot. Here comes 2020. Shockingly enough, 2020 has not had the same reaction that September 11th had. As crazy as it's been, you have people who are spitting in the face of God, and then you have people who are falling away from the church instead of falling into the church. That falling away that he was talking about, the Holy Spirit, you can see it happen. The revelation where it talks about people believe us. There are a lot of delusional people out there. And I don't care what side of the aisle, whether you want to, if you want to talk politics, if you want to talk left or right, there's delusional people across the board. Because we are believing a delusion, because our confidence and our view and our vision is on politics or health or in something that is not God. In our vision, in our heart, the heart of the church is supposed to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. The heart of the church has become something different. And I don't know in different churches there are different things, and each individual has to test himself. Each individual church is responsible for themselves to try themselves and to look at themselves. But that's what we'll talk about. If you want to turn over, go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians, and I'll read something over there here in just a second. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But in the book that I was reading, The Heart of the Church, it talks about the gospel. It says the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a mere set of propositions. It is not a lifestyle or a perspective on life. It is not something we do. It is a historic, historical, factual truth. It is something that did happen. It is literally by historical uh, but by all historical understandings, it is indisputable that the crucifixion happened. It is something that happened. It is something that God did for us. It is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 5 says, By which also ye are saved. I'm sorry, that's verse 2. Verse, step down to verse 3. It says, For I delivered unto you first of all, that which I also receive, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, 
and that he was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve. The reason I read that, that last verse is because it's historically it was observed by multiple people, his resurrection. They know that he, was, he, he resurrected. It is a historical fact. It is undeniable regardless of how much they deny it. They cannot, they cannot challenge it. They cannot disprove it. And so we need to understand that. But the importance of these verses here also is that it talks about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which is the gospel. Jesus' righteous life, because it had to be a righteous life, his atoning death, and his victorious resurrection. And those first three songs that we played, that we had today, all addressed all three of those. But it was about Jesus' righteous life, Jesus' atoning death, and Jesus' victorious resurrection. And one of the things that we need to understand, I took a, a Bible course recently, I'm going back to college online, and I had to take one Bible course because it's a Christian college. And I know, there are things that you know but then sometimes they become very clear and take a different view in your, in your mind. But one of the things that it made clear to me was the Bible is one story. We like to take out the stories to talk about Adam and Eve. We take out the stories to talk about Noah and the Ark. We talk about Abraham. We talk about Moses. We talk about Jesus. We talk about the, different, the apostles and stuff. And we all look at these like it's a great collection of stories. But it's not just a great collection of stories. It is one story. It is one story only. All the other stuff tells that one story. And that story is the story of the redemption of God's people. From the creation to the fall to restorative offerings to full restoration to revelations and the return and the full reconciliation of God's people. It literally is just one story. It just breaks the story down into parts for us simple-minded human beings. But it is one story. And if we understand that, I can promise you when you read God's word, it takes on a different meaning. Different passages take on a different meaning. The world and the church and people in the church have taken the Bible and picked it apart to apply it to however they want it to apply it to make it say what they want it to say. But when all actuality is, if you take it out of the context of God's redemptive story, then it doesn't mean what you think it means and what you want it to mean and what you try to make it mean. So the death of Jesus Christ is the message in the heart of the church. We should be preaching Christ crucified. I'm going to turn over a couple pages here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and read verse 23 and 24. And it says, But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I'm sorry, I have to go back. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and of the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection is the power of God. That is the power of the gospel. It is the power with which we live our lives. The, soul, the Holy Spirit sustains us, but only, he only sustains us because we have experienced the gospel, because we have received Christ, because we have done what we need to do. We have repented. We have accepted Christ as our Savior. And that is... Christ crucified is the power of God. But Christ crucified is also the message of self-denial. This is one thing the United States, if any other country, has severely and drastically perverted. It's a strong term, perverted. I had somebody called me out and I used that word. I'm like, no, but you've got to understand, it's a perversion the way we have preached the gospel sometimes in, the, in this country. And it, is, and it has led to what we see today in this country. Because it's self-denial, it's not self-serving, it's not 
Um, it's not self-pleasure. It's not self-centered. It's not anything about self. It's literally self-denial. And to show kind of the context of how an example of how the, um, how the Bible is one story, if you look, there are laws in the Old Testament regarding worship. They included leaders of worship, which were the priests at the time who were the mediators. There was the place of worship, worship, which was the tabernacle. And there were the sacrifices. Now, each of those had symbolism as well. Um, and they also have meaning today that doesn't necessarily look like it did then. There were the priests who mediated. We no longer need a priest to mediate for us. We have Jesus Christ, and we have our own path to God through Christ. He's the mediator. They had a place of worship, which was the tabernacle. We are now the tabernacle. If you go back and read the importance of the tabernacle and the importance of the purity of the tabernacle and what purity of the tabernacle meant, and you tie it to the fact that now we are the tabernacle, it changes the way we live our lives as well. But again, it's one story. Then there's the sacrifices. The sacrifices were a depiction of substitutional wrath because the animals were taking the wrath instead of it being poured out on God's people, and one day they would be poured out on God. God's wrath would be poured out on him. But it was also sacrifices that showed we are to live our lives as a sacrifice, as self-denial is a sacrifice. There are things in order to be Christians, in order to be a witness, in order to be who God wants us to be that are not necessarily wrong that we must do without in order to further the cause of Christ. I may have to do without one thing, and you may do without something else simply because it gets in the way of me being who I'm supposed to be and who God wants me to be as a Christian. So it is self-denial. It is not, I'm not saying be a monk. I'm not saying live in silence, although some of us probably should. I'm not saying live in the silence. I'm saying that we have to be careful. I am very, very vocal, not in the pulpit, but I'm very vocal where I can be on politics. I have opinions. They are educated opinions most of the time. I try to make sure they're only educated. But I have to show a certain level of strength, of which sometimes I don't, in order, because what I should never allow is my voice and my opinions and my passion on politics to supersede what God wants me to show people. If my politics get in the way of the gospel and get in the way of, my, of the testimony that I should have to show for God, then I am failing. And so regardless of how much I want to be heard, regardless of how much I think I know and how much I want to educate somebody else on what they should know and don't know, if I do that at the risk of putting a, a blunder on or a putting a blemish on the gospel, then I have failed and I have not done that. So I have to, self, it's self-denial for me to shut your mouth, let them do what they do and share the love of God instead. Now, by all means, I'm not saying that the church and the Christians should keep their mouth shut when it comes to our country and to politics. By no means. I think we just have to be cautious in the way we represent it and make sure that it's not coming between the message of Christ. So the Bible is about Christ crucified as a message of self-denial. All of those laws gave structure and pointed to a deliverer in the end. All of those laws were, were completely intended to point to Jesus Christ on the cross and point to his resurrection and his deliverance.
The resurrection gives us hope. One of the songs we sung today talked about hope. Gives us hope that we too will be resurrected. The resurrection had to happen also in order for us to have victory over sin. So when we talk about victory, we talk about the chains being free. We talk about the chains. Without Jesus' death may have paid the atonement for sin, but without his resurrection, we could not live free from the bondage of sin. The resurrection was necessary, and it's important that we understand how necessary the resurrection was. The resurrection gives us hope that we too will be resurrected, and it is the promise of power to live a godly life today. There are people who focus much on the crucifixion and not on the resurrection because the resurrection means I have to live over sin and I can't just indulge in sin. I have the power to overcome that sin through the strength and through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I'm going to turn over and read through a couple of verses. John chapter 11. Verse 25. John chapter 11 verse 25 says... Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. His death and his resurrection of life, the dead shall live. He gave us power to live through his resurrection. Over to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel, the power of salvation, it is the power through which we live our spiritual lives every day. In order to have a spiritual life, in order to be able to live that, we have to have that within us. One of the things, listening to the songs that I was thinking about as we were singing, those songs have a nice catchy tune. They have an upbeat, you know, um, upbeat tune to the song and upbeat melody, upbeat tempo, all that stuff. And it's like you could really enjoy the song without knowing who God was. But when you know who God is and you listen to the words of the song and you sing the words of the song, all of a sudden that hits a little bit deeper. That's what we should have. And a lot of people will go to church, listen to a song like that, sing a song like that. The term the kids use is get in their feelings and they're great. And they walk out the door, and that's it. That's all they have is their feelings. But when you truly have the gospel within you, you have the resurrection. You believe in the, 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 the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. and You've committed your life to that. You have that depth where it's not just about the, um, the music. It's about the words of that song that really grip you and really hit you in a place that some people do not understand. The closer you are to God, the more you understand God, the more those words mean and the more the, the more those songs mean. And we need to understand that Romans chapter one, verse 16. I read that Romans chapter eight, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, we're talking about that. Well, he's talking about that. The Holy spirit, I told you he always does it to me. He starts talking up here and then like, I can just start picking out like out of those five sentences. I pick it and you can, you can see where it's at. And it's, it's a verse. It's not even my words. It's the Bible verse words. And I've had these words t typed up for a couple of months. So God knows what he's doing. That's the Holy Spirit working together. I'm sorry, but let me go back to verse 11. But if the spirit of him that hath raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. His spirit 
The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is what li who lives within us, the Holy Spirit, who gives us power, who gives us life, who, who helps us to live our Christian life. The problem with most of, most of the time with us is when we fail at our Christian life is because we don't acknowledge that Spirit. I heard a, um, I heard a story uh, about somebody who said they had a check engine light kept coming, in, coming on in their car, and they fixed the problem by draw, getting a marker and coloring over the lights so they didn't see the light anymore. No like, well, the light's gone, problem fixed. I think that's the way we, a lot of us Christians live our lives. We, we go like, all right, block that out, black that off, all right, no problem, no more. We just quit reading that portion of Scripture that, that speaks to us. We just, we just shut that off, and we think it's taken care of. And then one day later on, if you're like me, I put off car maintenance, put off car maintenance, put off car maintenance. I get in the car to go take my son to practice, and me go to work. You turn the car over, and it, nothing happens. Car sitting in the driveway right now because Jeremy put off maintenance. But we do that in our Christian life too. And I think that that's what causes much of the problems that we have today. You read over, let's go turn over now to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. And I move back and forth through the Bible a lot because I love taking Old Testament, New Testament, and you love tying it together, all the correlation, because it truly shows how it is one story and how it all works together and how you need all of it. But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, that everlasting covenant that was made in Genesis, so it ties all everything together, make you perfect, complete, mature in every good work to do his will, not our own, to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. He empowers us, he not only empowers us to do his will with the gospel, he expects us to do his will, not our will. And a lot of times, specifically in Western culture, in, in the United States, we do our will. We take his power and do our will instead of taking his power and doing his will. We do what we want to do and do it the way we want to do it. And we, we, we err when we do that. So the question begins, comes then, how can we more deeply understand the gospel? More importantly, why should we understand the gospel more deeply? I believe that we must not only understand the gospel itself, but we must understand the depth of the gospel. And I say that if we look back at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 and 19, 17 through 19, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love Paul's language. I love the way Paul talks, because you know when he's putting an emphasis on it. And, and I try to put emphasis on the words, and the reason I put emphasis on certain words is because I want you to see the pattern and the emphasis he's putting. So I'm going to read those passages one more time. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge 
that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. He didn't say that you may have some of the fullness of, some of God in you. He didn't even say some of the fullness of God. He said all the fullness of God, but he said filled, not partially filled with all the fullness of God, filled with all the fullness of God. We don't live victorious lives over sin and over stuff because we're not filled with all the fullness of Christ, because we're not doing what we need to do in order to be filled. This is why I say it's, under, it's important to understand, we must understand the depth of the gospel, not just understand the gospel. I've always said I'm not a theologian, but I believe biblically that it is the responsibility of every single Christian to be well-versed in basic theology. Don't get scared about theology, but in basic theology of the gospel of Jesus Christ for grounding of your own self and for sharing. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 Get over here. First Peter chapter three verse verse fifteen says, "But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you." I see a lot of people. Social media can be a great tool, it can be a great discouragement, and it can be a great um, stumbling block. There are a lot of people out there who think that they have an answer for every man of the hope that is within them, but they haven't even the beginning of the understanding. But it says to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you, that is Jesus Christ. But it also says to do it with meekness and fear. That's humility and that's meekness. That's understanding who you are, who you were, who you could be, and who God is because, and who you are because of who God is. That's what it means, and that's the depth of it. But it says we are to be ready to give an answer. So to refer to the old quote I mentioned at the beginning, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. If you, can't understand the, if you cannot explain the gospel, and I'm not doing this to, to call anybody out or to, mean anybody, to demean anybody or to make anybody feel bad, but I'm telling you our responsibility as a Christian, what I have just read, to be ready to give an answer to that hope that is within us, if we don't, if we don't know it well enough to explain it simply, we don't know the gospel well enough. Right. We don't understand it. It is our responsibility as Christians to dig in and understand. And I'm going to tell you, in the age of Google, regardless of how bad Google is, you can use the other one that my mom sent me, the Duck Go or whatever the other one is that's supposed to not do all the other stuff in track. It's supposed to give you more accurate information and it's not supposed to do what Google does. You can use whatever you want, but Google's effective enough. If you type in, I'm going to give you my cheat code, because if you type in justification KJV, you know what happens? They give you about a thousand links that show you all kind of King James Version Bible verses that talk about justification. They didn't have that when I was a kid. And some of y'all, when y'all was a kid, they didn't even have the internet. Shoot, they barely had the internet when I, when I was a kid. I mean, anything was just starting. I can remember getting on a computer and it was a big old huge thing and, you know, playing games that I don't remember playing, chess and checkers, and that was amazing to me. But we have access to information that we don't use 
We'd rather gravitate to the information that does us no good or the, average, or, the, or the information that stresses us out. We don't use the information that actually helps us create roots and gives us peace and helps us latch on to the hope and helps us to understand what's going to happen. If we're a Christian, when we go and we die, we go to heaven. That's the thing we should be grabbing on to. But for some reason, on Facebook and other social media, we grab the stuff that makes us crazy and that's what we focus on. I got to steer my focus away from it sometime. Sometimes it's not hard because I just read stuff and I'm going like, I don't even know how to respond to that anymore. Like whether it's political or biblical, I just, I don't even know. I, I can't discuss things rationally when there is no rationale. I can't discuss things logically when there is no logic. So in a completely illogical world where they think they know everything, the only thing we have that's steady is God's word. So why aren't we studying it more? Why aren't we digging that information? Theology is a scary word, but it just simply means this. It's the study of the nature of God and religious belief and the system of religious beliefs. If we are saved, we are Christians. All it is is getting to know the person that we're going to spend eternity with. Getting to know why he did what he did. Why we are who we are. Why we can't do what we want to do. Why, it's, it's just understanding our purpose on this earth. That's literally all theology is. If we don't dig to understand that, then why are we here? I can tell you that I teach my kids and I teach our children's church kids. We've always taught it. There are two reasons that we're on this earth. Love and serve God. Love and serve others. That is the reason God's left us here. We have been redeemed. We have been reconciled. Now we are only sanctifying ourselves and we are discipling and helping and sharing God with others. If we're not doing that in some aspect, we are wasting our life on earth for what God left us here for. That is literally what he left us here for. If we are not growing in our own in grace and knowledge, if we're not growing towards Christ and we're not telling other peoples about Christ, we are literally not doing the two things we were left on this earth to do. And that is Christians, we have failed and we have faltered and we do it, we fail daily. And God knows that. He knows we're going to fail. He knows, he knew we were going to fail before he, before he created us. But we have to, as us, we have to understand that that's what's going on. That's what's happening. But theology is very simple. Don't let it be a scary word. <clears throat> it's the study of the nature of God and religious beliefs and the system of religious beliefs. It's studying who God is and understanding the nature of God is what it is. Now, I'm not saying that we need to understand theology to the point of we have to come up here and do an expository sermon. You don't need to understand theology to be able to come up here and do what I'm doing right now. Because what I'm doing is just filling a bunch of blanks in and going out what I've learned and what I've been taught and what I've read. Understanding theology was exactly what I said that he did before the service. That's understanding theology. Because he knew exactly what he was saying. He spoke to the truth. And that alone, if somebody is receptive to the things of God, could spark something in a person to want to know the person that he knows and wants to know what gives him that kind of passion and wants to know what gives him that kind of confidence and that hope. That was enough. That's understanding of theology. Now, the reason he is that way is in some capacity, he understands at least six major areas of theology. So let's break it down. I'm not going to discuss all these. I'm just going to mention them. Justification. What does justification mean? Again, Google. KJV, justification. Read the verses. Understand what justification means if you don't. 
but understand it in a way that you can explain it to somebody simply, because I can explain justification in a couple of sentences. Forgiveness, faith and repentance, reconciliation, sanctification, and good works. Those are six areas of theology, major areas of theology that we should know about and be able and know them well enough to be able to explain them simply. <clears throat> those are there. Those are the six areas we need to know about. Again, those aren't complex. They're not difficult once you read them and study them. And I know because I understand them. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. Trust me, nothing, nothing humiliates you. Sorry, nothing humbles you more than going back to school 20 years after you've been out of school. My brain is fried. This is a, this is a, this is a um, great break for me to, to study Bible and put a, put a message or put a lesson together. But I'm not going to discuss them today, but I do recommend you take the time to study them on your own. And, but today I want to explain why it's more important. So this is the closing. It's only like six paragraphs long, so we're about halfway there. But the main reason that we need to understand these theological points are for spiritual growth and grounding to be rooted and established. Those are also words. Those are all biblical words. Growth, grounding, root, and established. All of them are biblical words. All those words, I didn't write those. I didn't make those up. I got them from the Bible, and I got them from Bible verses, verses that have meant stuff to me over the years. The best illustration I have is plant growth. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 17. And we don't have a couple, but a couple more verses, but Jeremiah chapter 17. And just a disclaimer up front, I don't know anything about planting. I don't know anything about plants. I don't, I don't garden. If you look at my yard, I have people coming to Sunday school telling me that I need to go landscape my yard. I'm like, it's not happening. You know somebody that'll do it for free? Great, we'll feed them. Ashley will be glad, more than happy to feed them if they will come to our yard. And she cooks and she bakes and she does it well. So we can, do, we can, we can pay good when it comes out. Outside of that, I don't know anything about it. But I do know a couple of things. I know what the Bible teaches me. So Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope, that word hope again, the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So this tree that is planted by the water, that's planted by the Holy Spirit, that's locked into that communication and that fellowship with Jesus Christ, that, per, that tree, that individual who is there, the roots spread. We see the, we see the tree and the plant grow up. We don't see what happens underneath, but we know it spreads. It grows underneath as well. So the roots grow. When the heat or the trials and tribulations come, the leaves remain green because they're, they're connected to the source and they're not worried about the year of drought, and they don't stop yielding fruit because they're connected to the source. We are, this world is getting, is going downward quickly. I'm not convinced that it can't get better. I'm not convinced that it will get better. What I do know is that if we as Christians don't do what we're supposed to do as Christians, purely as Christians, it will not get better. But what we do understand here is in order to be the Christian that we need to be, we have to understand this, what, the, the, what they're about the tree that's planted by the waters. We need to be that tree. The water 
the li- is the living water, is Jesus Christ, is the Holy Spirit, is, is God himself. The roots are where the nutrients enter the plant. Pretty sure I got that factually correct. But the roots are where the nutrients enter into the plant. So it's important to have strong and deep roots in order to get the proper amount of nutrients, as much nutrients as possible. But it's also important because deeper roots are what secure the plant to the ground. We live in Louisiana. We see hurricanes all the time. We see, we see trees not just snapped in half. A lot of times we see trees laying with their roots all out everywhere. Why? Because the tree didn't have deep roots. In 2020, there's a lot of Christians who didn't have deep roots. And you see them laying down, and you see their roots exposed because they didn't have deep roots. Some of us may have been tested and may have been leaning because we didn't have deep roots. Some of you may be struggling right now because you don't have deep roots. All I'm saying is the gospel and the understanding of the gospel and theology. I'm not talking about an understanding of each individual story in the Bible. I'm talking about an understanding of the gospel, of who God is, of what God did for us, of why we're on this earth. I'm talking about that basic understanding of what the story, the redemptive story of the Bible is. If we understand that, those are the roots. That's what digs us in. That's what keeps us. That's what gives us the hope when we're in the middle of the Sahara Desert. I told you, I'm going to keep coming back to it. That's what keeps us there. Because we are grounded and because we are close to the source and because we have that. So the strong and deep roots provide nutrition, but they also secure the plant to the tree, to the earth, to the ground. In other words, the roots feed the plant and the roots fix the plant to where it's at. So as Christians, we need to have our roots deep here in the Bible, deep in God's word. The American church, and when I say the church, I want to clarify, I don't mean There's an overwhelming, some leader of this great church. I mean, the American church, the body of Christ, the born-again believers who are are the body of Christ are the church. The American church as a whole has become weak in its roots because we have become weak in our understanding of God's nature. That's not something that just happened. We started losing God's nature a while back. Shortly after World War II and during World War II, wasn't alive then, but you can read all the stories of how the people turned to God and how the people were following God. And then shortly thereafter that, around the time of the Vietnam War, there was a falling away. There was a self, self-serving and a self, uh, self-pleasing generation that came up, and they focused on that. And we can break down all kinds of examples. I can do that later on, but I'm not going to do that here. But we, we walked, they started walking, the church started walking away from God as a whole. Because they quit understanding God's nature. Because they quit seeking to understand God's nature. We have a shallow faith because our roots are shallow. Our roots are not receiving the necessary nutrients that we need to live a strong, grounded, spiritual life. The Bible talks about fruit. And I'll say it again. The roots grow down and the plants grow up. Both have to happen in order to be a healthy plant. In order to be a healthy Christian, our roots have to grow down and we have to grow up. If we're just growing up, something's going to happen and we're going to falter. If we're just growing down, you can't just grow down because if you're growing down and growing deep, you're going to grow up. You're going to get the nutrients. You're going to be grounded in what you need. and You're going to grow taller. So the importance, the American church has either done one of two things in large part. It has said, grow up and they weren't worried about the growing down or it said just do what you need to do and don't worry about growing we're going to try to reach these other people and do everything else and and try to make things appeasing to people and we're going to make 
the church look like the world. Make it, make it look pretty, even though it's not pretty. You got a live tree and you're putting fake rosebuds and fake plants and fake fruit on the tree, I guess, is what you would uh, liken it to. But we have, we have weakened the roots of the church because we haven't understood the theology. We haven't understood the depth of who God is. The nutrients enter the plant under the surface through the roots. The fruit reflects on the surface what is happening beneath the surface and how well it's happening. It's not the reverse. It's not we do up here and then it happens down under the roots. But that's the backwards way the church has approached it many times. The result of the nutrients are seen above the surface in the growth of the plant, the bloom of the plant, and the fruit of the plant. What happens on the surface influences those who see it, who experience it, who smell it, who taste it. The fruit of the bloom and the growth are the testimony of Jesus Christ, the reflection of the gospel, and they are the influence of the individual plant. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. It's the last verse, and I'll close right here. Again, I could expound on a lot of stuff I just read, but I think it made its point. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewithal, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. The problem with America today, the problem with the world today, is the church has lost its influence in society. That is not to make them do what we want them to do. That is to be the influence that make, compels them to want to do what we are doing and to be who we are being because they see who is within us, because they see the light. We have lost our influence in society. The salt has lost its savor. The light has lost its glow because our roots are not deep enough or they're not in the right soil. I'm not going comp- to dig into this, but I want you to think about it. Our roots are not deep enough, or they're not in the right soil, or they don't have enough soil, and they're not getting the nutrition that they need. We have lost our influence in society, the church has, because the salt has lost its savor, the light has lost its glow, because our roots are not deep enough, or not in the right soil, or they don't have enough soil, or we're just not getting the spiritual nutrition that we need. Let's bow our heads.